In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Do not be anxious about your life. These are Jesus' oh-so-comforting words to us this morning. I don't think Jesus knows who he's talking to. I am always anxious about my life, all the time. And for the record, telling me not to be anxious only makes me more anxious. It's like when I'm in a fight, I'm in a passionate discussion with my lovely wife, and I say, you shouldn't be angry. That definitely makes her more angry. (laughs) Think back to the reading we just heard. Jesus mentions food, he mentions fitness, and what we wear. Has Jesus never been on Instagram? This is literally all we take photos of. I ate breakfast 45 minutes ago, and I'm already worried about lunch. And now that I've admitted to you that I worry so much about food, I'm feeling self-conscious and thinking that after this service this morning, I need to go for a run. I remember the summer of 1989 and doing back-to-school shopping with my mom and my two brothers. We were shopping at the Kmart on Corona Road in Flint, Michigan. It was late June, and school for the previous year had just let out. But we did our back-to-school shopping at the start of the summer because my mother put all of our clothes in layaway, and she would pay on it week by week so that by the end of the summer in early September, it all be paid for, hopefully. And the end of the summer would roll around, and I would be anxious on that final trip to Kmart with the tough skin jeans and the knockoff polo shirts that we'd picked out at the beginning of the summer still be cool in the fall? Would the items that I really liked, like the British night tennis shoes, would they survive the inevitable purging that my frugal mother did with each visit to the layaway desk as she put an item or two back on the racks to ensure that the balance could be paid by summer's end? I've always been anxious about the basics, and so have you. That's part of being human on this side of heaven. We think the little things are the big things, and we get all turned around chasing after and obsessing over things. And I'll tell you what, Jesus imploring us to just cut it out doesn't fix a thing. You could argue that it's simply the law, as us Lutherans like to say. This command from Christ, do not be anxious, In and of itself, it doesn't fix us. No, it reveals and reminds us of the break in us. Don't be anxious, he says. And when I hear him say those words, my heart gets a little heavy, my palms get sweaty, and I'm wondering what's for lunch. What about you? But the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us there. He goes beyond the imperative. He, He has bigger goals than reminding us of our anxieties. He's nicer than that. He's Jesus. Apart from you and your anxieties, there's a name, there's a person that he mentions four times in the Gospel reading. Who is it? It's God, the Father. It's interesting, in the first two mentions, when he's talking about flowers and birds and how they're fine, he simply references God. And then in the next two mentions, he shifts the conversation back to you and me, and he begins using the word Father. He says, God. God, flowers, birds. Then he talks about you and he says, Father, Father, your Father. The God who cares for all things is your Father. 
Let me say that again. The God who cares for all things is your Father, our Father, my Father. And Jesus' point in this is twofold. Having reminded us of our anxieties, he's now going to reveal the source of our anxiety and a solution for our anxiety. He reminds us and he proclaims to us that we have a Father for a reason. I think the source of so much of our anxiety is because we act and live as if we are orphans. We tend to believe that ultimately our well-being, our peace, our joy, our, our well-being, our peace, our joy, our hunger for the big things and the small things is all up to us to satisfy. We're on our own. And quite honestly, that's the message that you and I, we get relentlessly from the world around us, which today is telling us without end that your greatness and your happiness your fullest potential and your wildest dreams, they are all just within your reach. But you, you've got to reach. Back to the summer of 1989, there was a series of books that I was really into. It was a series of books for children called The Boxcar Children. It was about this group of siblings who were orphaned and alone, who despite being no older than 10 or 11, they lived the hobo life inside of a train. No parents to look after them, no child protective services trying to find a place for them. They just had each other and that boxcar. You believe that you are a boxcar kid. That the hierarchy of your needs will go unmet unless you spend your days wringing your hands and racking your brain and as Jesus said, running after all these things. You have the attitude of an orphan. And the irony is that the more we lean into that attitude, relying on ourselves and believing in ourselves, the more and more pressure it puts on ourselves. There will be no peace when peace is the product of your own hard work. There's just more work. More sales goals to hit, more workouts to do, more trends to adopt. The source of our anxiety is that we live and act as if God is not our Father. Or maybe that's just me. Now, if that's the source of my obsession with food and body and clothes and everything else, then guess what the solution is? It's to remember and to receive the fact that you and I do have a father. But it is not just any father. It is a crazy father. And that's the often overlooked point in this particular reading. But the Father, the God that Jesus describes here and elsewhere, say in Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son, the Father, Jesus so casually proclaims, is crazy in a good way. He is crazy generous. How generous? Jesus says that the same God who ensures the splendor of creation will see to your well-being. And here's the crazy part. It's in verse 28. He says, he will clothe you even though you are faithless. He will care for you, love you, even though you fail to recognize his existence and you insist on wringing your hands in worry as if you're alone, though you're not alone. He's so crazy generous that you don't have to prove that you want his provision. You don't have to remember to say please and thank you for his provision or be a good boy on your way to and from Kmart on a hot summer's day in a 1984 Buick LeSabre to get what you really need from his provision. He's a recklessly generous, extravagant father. He even clothes the faithless. 
But he goes further. The same Father will not only clothe the faithless, his desire, get this, is to do so much more. In verse 31 he says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How about that? All the blessings of heaven. It's hard to see now, but but all that will be in the end is yours. All that will matter in the end is yours. The kingdom is hard to capture, but, but, but it's a place at the Father's eternal table. It's his never-ending approval. It's his presence. It's his fear-destroying, joy-inducing presence. It's a love for you that shines so bright that when you see it in full, there will be no need for the sun. All of that, his presence, his approval, his love, a place at his table, all of it, all of it is yours. And if that is true, then... What it means is, as Jonathan Edwards said, your bad things are going to turn out for good, your good things can never really be lost, and the best things are yet to come. Because the Father wants to give you the kingdom. And he gives it not to the calm and to the collected, not to the ones with peace-filled and level-headed perspectives. No, this God, he gives it, he promises it, to the faithless, the peaceless, the anxious kids who are convinced that they're orphans. He gives it to you. Now, how can Jesus say this? How can Jesus make these promises and extend these comforts? He can say this to his disciples and he can say it to us because of what he would later do for those disciples and what he has done for us. If you know the history of it, think back to Jesus' final words, his last few phrases uttered as he's dying on the cross. This Jesus who made it clear that he was God in flesh and God's own son, who himself referred to God relentlessly as his father. What does he say in the very end? Matthew's gospel is the one that captures it. He cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not my father, my father, my God, my God. Why? Because now he, he is the orphan who has no relationship. He is the one who's cut off. He loses his status as the favored son. He gets treated as the unbelieving and disobedient outsider. The father turns his face away as Christ is dying and paying for sin, as if to say, I don't know the man either. Christ gets treated as we deserve so that we can be adopted as children and enjoy all that he is. Christ was stripped of his clothing like a flower plucked of its petals by the one who planted it. And he was killed like a bird of the air shot from the sky by the falconer who set it free so that you might be forever clothed and cared for, wrapped in God's approval and inheriting the kingdom. Jesus had all that in mind as he stood before his disciples and he said, do not be anxious. Because of me, you don't just have a God, you have a father. You're not alone, you're not an orphan. You have a crazy good dad, the kind who will clothe you and give the family farm to you. Even though you forget about and fail to trust in him. 
Now, that's not to say that once you come to terms with the truth, that you'll be free from anxiety. Not at all. I hate to say it, but from now until the day you die, you will have worries and fear and moments of anxiousness. Your palms will sweat. Your heart will get heavy. You will continue to worry about what's for lunch. But God will use those moments to remind you who you really are and to draw you deeper into just how much he loves you through Jesus. I will say this. I, I do believe it can get better. At least that's what Jesus hints at, and this is what I'll leave you with. Having reminded us that we have a Father, he encourages us to anchor our hearts into that truth. Why? So that we might experience a bit more of the peace and the joy it brings to us on a day-to-day basis. How? He says, give your stuff away. In moments of security, in seasons of clarity, Give away things that you're tempted to cling to to cure your anxiety. When you're feeling forgiven and loved, secure and set free, when all is well in your world, let go and give. Unload your riches on the things that matter to the one who made this world and who promises to meet every need and give you this world. Give the money you tend to fret about to those who tend to go without. Give your time and your treasure that you tend to hoard for a feeling of peace to the spreading of true and lasting peace that's offered through Jesus. In the moments when you realize that you have the kingdom, give your temporary treasures to the kingdom and watch, watch as Jesus says, more and more of your heart is anchored in the kingdom. Try it. I dare you to try it and see what happens. If your eyes are open today to just how secure you are in Christ, give, release, let go of some of the things you lose your mind over when you lose sight of Christ. Try it. The Father gives clothes to the faithless. He gives the kingdom to the anxious. Which means we are some well-clothed kingdom kids. So what should we do? Let us anchor our hearts in that truth. I know. We could pay off some frugal mom's layaway, if that's still a thing. Because school is coming. Amen.